you, Krista, for reading God's word to us uh, this morning. Well, it's great to be up here again, and it's great to have the kids in the service uh, with us. Kids, I hope you listen along and use the activity sheets uh, that are provided as uh, we go through the sermon together. Uh, like I mentioned, if you don't know me, my name's Matt, and I'm one of the ministers here at Helensburg and Stanwell Park Anglican Church. A few days ago, I was wandering around uh, the bookshop Berklow Books. And to be honest with you, it's not something that I really am that interested in doing. Ella's usually the one who wants to go into Berklow Books, and I get dragged along. And uh, so I usually have a plan while I'm in the bookstore to uh, fill in time. I head straight for the architecture section and the gardening section. They're side by side usually. And I open up a few of the architecture books uh, to look up some uh, interesting uh, houses uh, and some uh, interesting landscape, uh, landscape gardenings, uh, gardens. And this uh, time when I was in Berklow Books, I did exactly that. I went there and had a look at some books, uh, but nothing there really interested me. And so I started wandering aimlessly around Berklow Books. And I found myself in the self-development section. <laughs> and I noticed there some of the names of the books in the self-development section, and they kind of amused me. So I read the covers of the books, and then I grabbed the book, and I read the backs of some of these books. And while I was there reading the books in the self-development section, Ella came around looking for me, and she finally found me, and she said, what are you doing here? <laughs> to which I had no answer. I didn't have a clue why I was there. I had just wandered aimlessly around and found myself there with no rhyme or reason. Now I'm wondering if someone would turn to you today, if someone turned to you right now and asked you, what are you doing here? Whether or not you would have an answer or not. What are you doing here today? What would your answer be if someone asked you that question? Would you have a reason for being here today? Now, I doubt any of you would be like me in Berklow Books where you just were randomly walking around Helensburg today and you just happened to find a church and randomly walked up the steps and inside. But if you did, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for coming. But most of us here today are here for a reason. And if you were asked, what are you doing here today? Your answer might be something like this. Well, your family comes, and so you have come with your family. You've always come to church on Easter and Christmas, so that's just a silly question because it's Good Friday, and you should know that. So uh, I'm here because it's Good Friday. Or you've come to church because you have been told that that's what you do as a Christian or possibly something along the lines of, I've come here today because of what Jesus has done for me. Now, there are plenty of other reasons why, why you might give for the, you being here today. But if I'm honest with you, I have, at some point in my life, used all of the reasons that I just mentioned as reasons to come to church. I believe Hebrews chapter 10 
gives us a clear explanation of what we are doing here today, what we are remembering here today. And not only does it help us define what we are doing here today, but it also helps us know what we are to do next. Because if what we are doing here today and what we're remembering today matters, then it will have lifelong consequences for us. And so I hope that this passage in front of us will help us answer these, the question, what are we doing here today? And also, what is next? What are we going to do tomorrow? As we use Hebrews 10 to help us answer these questions, I would like to pray for us before we look more deeply into this passage. Please keep open Hebrews chapter 10. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your plan of salvation. We thank you for your son's example to us through his life, his death, and his resurrection. We thank you today that we can remember that through his death on the cross, he offered one sacrifice for sin once for all. Please help this message of encouragement and hope and faith to be heard and lived out as we serve you. Help us to trust you, depend on you, and obey your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, my son came home, and he explained to me that he was doing a science experiment at school. Now, I love science experiments, so I got really excited about this experiment. I was so keen to find out more about what this science experiment was. And I'm wondering, kids, if you've ever done this experiment, it was an experiment to find out which way north is. And you do it by using a stick. All you have to do is just stick a stick in the ground, and the sun casts a shadow. And you mark the shadow of the stick. And then you wait, and later on you come back, and because the sun has moved, the shadow of the stick is moved, and you mark the shadow again. And using both shadows and the stick, you can determine which way is north. What a fantastic science experiment. I love it. I'm wondering, kids, have you done that experiment? Yes? No? Fair enough. Now, I am sure that all of you, even the kids here this morning, realize that with this experiment, that the shadow is not the same as the stick. The shadow is just a dark shape that is produced by the sun and the stick. Quite simply, the stick is a stick, and the shadow is not the stick. And this is exactly how the writer of Hebrews explains the, the laws and sacrifices in the Old Testament. Read with me again chapter 1, verse 1. Sorry, chapter 10, verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Hebrews chapter 10 explains how the laws and the sacrifices um, that were used in the Old Testament times 
were just a shadow. They fell short because they were not the real deal. They were not the stick. They were the shadow of the stick, which means that they could never make perfect those who were trying time and time again to be made perfect through this system. And in verse 2 it explains that if it was possible to make people perfect through the laws and the sacrificial system, then they wouldn't need to keep doing it. Read verse 2 with me. Otherwise, would they have not ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there was a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And now skip down with me to verse 11 and read what it says about the priests. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. The law that was established by God, that God gave to his chosen people, is as a holy expression of the will of God. That is, the law, the sacrificial system, is actually good. It is true. It is righteous. There's actually nothing wrong with the Old Testament law that God established. But by itself, the law, which included all the sacrificial system, has failed to make anyone righteous before God. This passage tells us that it can never take away sins. So it didn't matter how well God's chosen people tried to uphold the law or how many times they came to the temple to make sacrifices for their sins, it was impossible for them to be made right by what they were doing. And in fact, this isn't just... Uh, the law that's found in Old Testament times. It's the same for us here today. There is no law that can make a person right with God. There is no possible law that we can follow here today, either past, present, or future, that can make us right with God. And the reason is because of the nature of our hearts. The weakness, the sinfulness in me makes me incapable of doing what the law requires. The sinful nature of my heart means that no matter how hard I try, there is no sacrifice that I can make which will allow me to uphold the law perfectly. So whether you are trying to uphold the laws found in the Old Testament or the laws and ideals found today, it's just not possible to uphold them perfectly. I can't do it and neither can you. And if you think you can, you're just fooling yourself. While I was in the self-development section of Burklow Books, 
I was looking at the books written by award-winning authors, books with titles like Good Vibes, Good Life, Be Your Best Self, Finding Your Strength, Rising Strong, or the book by a Nobel Prize nominee called Future Positive. Now, I must admit that I have not read any of these books, but there's no question that they all presume that we have the ability within ourselves to do better, to be better people, or as one of the books says on the back, to embrace your full potential. And while I was in the bookstore in Berklow Books, there just happened to be another lady who came in and uh, she was talking to the lady at the counter and said that she was going to a baptism and she was wondering if they sold Bibles. And the lady behind the counter said to her, um, I don't think so. The Bible would not be found sitting beside any of these self-development books. Why? Because the Bible says that we are incapable of achieving our full potential if left to our own devices. We simply cannot be our best self. In fact, the Bible says that life without God is not future positive, but future hopeless. What the writer of the Hebrews is saying is that when we attempt to live according to the law, we will find that we just can't. Just as it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin, it is impossible for our efforts to take away our sins. And so I ask you, what are you doing here today? Where do you stand? Are you attempting to live by the laws of today that tell you that you can make it on your own? Or are you prepared to accept what the Bible says, that there is no law that we can follow? There is nothing that we can do to make ourselves perfect. Are you here believing that by doing the right thing, doing the best you can, and coming to church a few times a year, will somehow make a difference? Are you adding religion and church attendance to your self-development routine? Today, there are many of us who continue to live according to the old system without even realizing it. And this may be you. Are you weighing out the good works you do with the bad? hoping that you will eventually end up on top. If so, I hope this passage helps you recognize that you cannot continue to live this way. Because if this is how you are living, you will most likely find reading the Bible or attending church as difficult chores, jobs that you would rather just put off. You will feel as though... You just have to try harder in order to be assured of any sense of salvation and right relationship with God. And hearing about how we fail and we sin over and over again 
will most, like you, most likely make you just want to give up, not wanting anything to do with Christianity. You may already be at the point where you see no use in going to church. You may have already decided that you are just living for the moment. You are grabbing on to what you can whenever you can and hope that you will find some form of immediate gratification here and now while you do. Everything we do in attempt to do it on our own will add up to nothing. The writer to the Hebrews says that our salvation comes when we believe that the work of Jesus Christ is sufficient for us and we accept what he has done for us. Let's read, starting from verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scrolls of the book. When he said above, you have neither de desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. God has prepared a way that we can be made right with him, and it's not through anything we do, it's through his son, Jesus Christ, who came to do his father's will. And let's continue reading in verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. We are perfected by the single offering, a single sacrifice for sins. We are perfected by the death of Jesus Christ. And this single offering is available to everyone. And here in this passage, there is this unique comparison between the law with its sacrificial system and priests and Jesus Christ. The writer to the Hebrews says that the law is a shadow of the good things to come compared to the good things that has already come in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The sacrifices that are offered continually that will never make perfect those who offer them compared to Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice. He compares the priest 
who stand daily in service of God compared to Jesus Christ, who does not stand but is seated at the right hand of God, once for all time completing his work. But this unique comparison applies just as much to us today. We too can fall into the trap that we think that if we do something, that something we do may make a difference. And so there's also this unique comparison between our attempts to be made right with God and what Jesus Christ has done for us. We too can believe that the good things here on earth are what are important, but they too are just a shadow of the good things waiting for us in heaven. And we can so often believe that the little things we do, the good things that we do in our life, will eventually be added up to make us good enough to get into heaven, rather than believing that when Jesus died on the cross, he did so for us, so that we don't rely on all the little things that we do that never make us perfect, but instead we rely on him. And so often we look to others as priests, to those who tell us that we're doing okay, that we'll be fine. We take humans' approval over God's. We look to the attitudes and behaviors of our society for praise, when in reality there is only one priest who is seated at the right hand of God the Father, who has perfected for all time those of us who are setting ourselves apart and believing in him. And because he is seated at the right hand of the Father, we can have confidence to approach the throne of God. Jesus Christ has opened up access for us to God through his death and resurrection. And this is symbolized by the curtain that was there preventing people from entering into the Holy of Holies, being ripped open when he died. And so today, we remember the death of Jesus Christ. Today, we accept that all we are capable of doing here just serves as a reminder that we cannot reach our full potential. We cannot be righteous. Today, we accept that Jesus' death on the cross was the sacrifice that was needed for our sins, and it was done once, and it was done for all. Today, we humbly stand perfected through the blood of Jesus. Today, we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And today, we have a great high priest over the house of God. And since we have all these things, we are urged to live as though we have all these things. Read with me from verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, full of assurance of faith, 
with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There are three ways put before us here that we can tackle what comes tomorrow. With confidence, we can draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With confidence, we can hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. With confidence, we can consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another all the day more as you see the day drawing near. We can approach God to find help from him in our time of need. We are being asked to trust in the full and completed work of Jesus Christ. We are asked to do this today, tomorrow, and every day that we are on this earth. And so this passage here is good news for those who have struggled and who will continue struggle with their assurance of faith because Jesus has sprinkled our hearts clean when he offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. This passage is good news for those of us who have wavered, who have wavered to remain hopeful in what Jesus has done for us. We waver because we are tempted by our very nature to think that it's possible to achieve our full potential on our own. It is good news because he who promised is faithful. And although we may not be there yet, we can rely on this fact that by Jesus' sacrifice, he has perfected for all time those who follow him. This passage is good news for those of us who find it difficult to stir up each other to love and good works. Those of us who find it difficult to even make it to church each week. Because there will be a day when your anxiety and fears will be no more. But in the meantime, do not give up. Do not neglect meeting together. This passage is great news for those of you who may not have been to church since Christmas or last Easter. Because if you have not even thought about God since the last time you were in church, which may have actually been years ago, it is possible for you to come before God today, recognizing that he has done what you could never do for yourself. This is great news for us all. Friends, I hope you can spend some time today considering what happened on that very first Good Friday so many years ago. We read it earlier, and I'm going to read some of it again from Mark chapter 15. 
let's conclude with Mark uh, chapter 15. I'm going to start again at verse 16. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisted together a crown of thorns. They were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to be crucified. And it was the third hour when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who crucified with him, those who were crucified with him, also reviled him. And some of the bystanders hearing what was said said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And some ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was led to be crucified. He did not save himself. He saved us. He suffered and he died. He offered a single sacrifice for our sins. He says, I will remember your sins and your lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Let's pray.